world of e-commerce can be tricky, and that's why you need the experts to help take you to the next level. This is Delivering E-Commerce. Delivering E-Commerce. You'll hear from leaders and industry experts from around the globe, letting you in on their stories and journeys. Your host has 25 years in the retail industry and has been leading the strategy and development of e-commerce sites for 17 years, working with Walmart, Newegg, Big Al's, Rin's Pets, and Home Hardware. We think he may be qualified. This is Delivering E-Commerce. And this is Chris Parsons. What's going on, everyone? Thank you for joining me on my first Q&A. I'm so excited to, to be here tonight. I'm going to try to do this by myself. I've got special guests that are, are really going to help me tonight answer some of these great questions. And I'm looking forward to, um, to all of this. I've got to manage bringing people in and out, going through the questions, and also trying to answer them intelligently. So let's get to this. Um, holding on the line right now is someone I just had the pleasure of doing a, a podcast with, and that's Johnny Russo. So I'm going to bring in Johnny to, to kick things off. Hey, Johnny, welcome to the show tonight. Good evening, Chris. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. So at this point, I think we've already have some people following and watching, so that's great. I'm looking forward. I think more people will uh, will start to join as they uh, they start to uh, settle down from dinner. But um, let's uh, let's get to this. So, you want to start off with your question? That was a that was an interesting one. I thought you were trying to sabotage me when you asked it. <laughs> but uh, let's let's get to it. Yeah, the the Amazon and Shopify one is that the yeah. one? Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. So just like in in you know in two years or or so, I mean, enter the timeline, whatever you want. But where do you see Shopify and where do you see Amazon? Um, and then kind of you know also from a brand perspective, you know, should you shouldn't you should you join both? Uh, all those questions are I think on everyone's mind. Yeah, I think um, those will be a lot of people that will listen or watch this after will, uh, will think the same thing. I see Mr. Rob Wallace is saying hello to you as well. That's, uh, that's great. Um, so Shopify, um, where I think Shopify needs to go is they've got this great audience and a lot of them on that build their website are entrepreneurs. Um, and if you've ever been an entrepreneur, I have, I've, I got my own hockey socks business. And one of the things that you need when you're busy running everything and building your own platform and doing your own marketing um, is to really understand the numbers. And I think they need to put more tools and technology to help folks understand their numbers, the profitability, the margin, help them with tools in the back end of their platform that when I make a decision to uh, reduce the cost of goods or put it on sale, sorry, um, that I'm now not maintaining that same margin. So I think they could do a lot um, to be proactive with with the entrepreneurs and help them that way. Um, I see that they've got a lot of plugins that are useful, but um, and they they also have the uh, the integration with the couriers, which is a big help. Where where I think they're going to have to evolve to is with that personalization. A lot of the personalization is a little bit clunky, um, so um, I think that the, the providers are coming a long way. But between the tools for managing and really helping people run their business properly and the, the utilities for personalization, I think um, once they get that, it will be it'll be a very good platform for, for any entrepreneur. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I was having this conversation with somebody uh, this week about where is Shopify's uh, scale right now. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it was like, ah, if, you're, if you're probably, you know, a $10 million business, you're probably okay. And then it went to like, ah, if you're 100 and, you know, maybe you have a couple of stores and, and some SKUs, nothing too complex, you're okay. And, and I think Shopify is outgrowing that again, right? And then Shopify Plus has been huge. Um their partner partner ecosystem, right? Agencies had to there had to be a way for agencies to make money, right? Yeah. And Shopify Plus and some you know uh, members or subscriptions and how they integrated that. Like sometimes you do need some some development. So I think they found that partner ecosystem now. Uh, so it's really you know from two years ago they made that leap into more. Well, it's not just for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Yeah. It's mid, and now it's going into even even large, right? So. I think they've they've started that shift. They they've got to get better. You know, they've gone come a long way in, in multi multi language site, multi currency mm-hmm. site, being able to be global and not just you know a US centric or a North America centric model. And I think that's great. And and they're testing out you know Shopify um, delivery network or Shopify fulfillment network. Sorry, SFN. So to counter you know Amazon's FBA. Yeah, so uh, I mean they're they're trying that, and I I totally believe there's a world for both of them. I think some brands will probably be on both of them. Um, but I, I look at two or three years from now, and I, I think it's it's one or the other. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be Shopify or, or Amazon and some of the other e-commerce platforms. Um, you know, it, it might be smaller market shares for them. Yeah, I mean, I think Shopify has got a, a lot of smart folks um, working on that business. You saw the work that they did with Staples and their big launch a few years ago. Um, I know there was some good customization done on that platform as well, but it turned out uh, really well for the folks over at Staples. And I think a lot of people look to, to duplicate that. So Amazon, where does Amazon go? I mean, they're just opened up a beauty section, didn't they? Where they're <laughs> haircuts. I mean, I don't need that, but uh, I, I guess that's going to be a popular um, piece for them. And uh, they, they're not afraid to test and learn. That is an absolute uh, no brainer with them. I think, you know, from an Amazon perspective, it is, They've got the delivery down pat. Like I, I order stuff last night and it's it's already at my house waiting. I saw it on the camera. So um, they've got delivery down pat. I think the recommendations where, you know, people are using the same uh, user ID for the same for the same family, that part can get better um, because a lot of us, you know, multi people in the household will use the same account. And then all of a sudden your recommendations for all kinds of beauty. <laughs> stuff, um, and how they how they can support customers through that journey versus opening up multiple different accounts in a household because who wants to pay for four different prime accounts mm-hmm. uh, but i think they can really try to figure out that solution to make it a better personalization experience when you're sharing an account such a good point eh, on, on the recommendations because like my wife will share my my prime account obviously and and Netflix has done a great job, right? Because you go into Netflix, you choose your profile, and, and that's such. I hope someone from Amazon is is listening because that's such a good. You know, I go in and choose choose your name on your account for your household. Um, yeah, you, you know what, what's um, what strikes me in the last year? What's what's happened with Amazon? Isn't it funny that uh, overnight they they used to be the cheapest, and they're not necessarily the cheapest anymore for a product, right? So. Right. Their play all is now next day or two days, and and I think they the, the pricing is they're not that competitive anymore for some products. And but do you have to be cheap when you offer the convenience 
it's the value proposition, right? You've got yeah. the prime membership, you've got the prime music, the prime TV shows, you've got this complete package. Do you, do you have to be cheap? Not anymore, right? But, but I, I think that's for, for people who could play a bit of catch up, um, there's, there's potential some profitability or margin savings there, uh, especially if, you know, if a Shopify site can help that out and yeah. you have a good delivery network and maybe you use Shopify and maybe, you, you know, you have the 3PL, who knows. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting, that shift. And, and I've heard a few people say it is like, yeah, Amazon's not the cheapest anymore. It used to be cheapest and quickest and now it's just quickest. 100%. I see Mark made a, a comment as well. He said the convenience is the new premium. I agree. I, whenever you can simplify my life, and, and maybe that's because I'm fortunate to be in my 40s now. So the, the dollar savings is not the, the key trigger for me anymore. It's about that experience. And um, we'll, we'll see where they continue to grow. What do you think other than drone delivery, um, opening up a hair salon? Where do you think they go? Now? <laughs> oh, well, they, they, you know, with, with our private labels, right? Like they, they went into fashion, then pulled out. And, and you kind of wonder what's going on. And now with, with, uh, with Bezos leaving, right? Like it's, it's kind of like what happened with Jobs and Apple and, and kind of just iterating a bit. This, this would be the chance to do it. Are they going to go into fully private label? Um, through experience, uh, at first they, they wanted to help everybody out with FBA, right? They would store your goods and, and, and they're kind of cutting back away from that. Like they, they don't necessarily want to be a warehouse anymore, um, from a space, logistics, all that stuff. They want to be the best in logistics, but they don't necessarily want to store slow-moving goods, Yeah. right? So they, they hold you to certain capacities and maximize. They don't even want to overcharge you for like long-term storage and stuff. So I, I really, um, yeah, I, I think that's that's interesting on how that happens. And I think that plays into Shopify's hand because, you know, they're, they're trying to like kind of boot some of these soft, smaller sellers on there. The other really interesting thing around this is... Um, I guess a conglomeration of companies buying a lot of these Amazon FBA businesses. Mm -hmm. You see it like every day there's a new company, one from Europe, one from the US, one from Canada, like buying these companies and scaling them. Um, and, and it's interesting what Amazon's viewpoint is on that because Amazon obviously likes a lot of competition. Um, and now you have these, these bigger players coming in to obviously take out some of the smaller players. So I, I wonder what, what their stance is on that. Um, in the future. Yeah, good point. And did you see that they announced that they're going to loosen the uh, the um, rules around engaging with their customers? They're going to free up their yeah. email lists. I mean, that is game-changing from a manufacturer standpoint because now all of a sudden, as a manufacturer that has a capability of drop shipping, now you can actually market directly to a consumer as well uh, through their platform. That's That's going to be big, and I'm excited to see how that turns out for them. Yeah, it's about time, right? I mean, it's uh, that, that's the marketplace game. Uh, unfortunately, that's how it's been, where it's kind of been a, a secret. But I'm, I'm, I'm really happy they're, they're opening that out. And um, yeah, we'll see what, what happens. Because that's been the whole play, right? Where, where, you know, are you going on marketplace or are you staying on Shopify or your own e-commerce platform? It's the data. It's the customer data that you own. So by them doing this, yeah, maybe, maybe they are looking ahead and saying, hey, we, we see a clash here with these Shopify businesses. Um, what if we give them the data? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you can have a bunch of your sellers truly selling and Amazon is a commission-based platform, um, you want to give them the tools and the, the bandwidth to be able to have more turns of goods. And you, you mentioned the DCs, they don't want to sit on stale inventory. 
So help them sell through their products. And I think it's a good move. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get on to another topic. Since I see Rob is here, let me find his question because um, it was it was one when he sent it. He had a big smirk on his face for sending it over to me. So um, let me just try to find it, Mr. Rob Wallace. <clears throat> so what's I wish I could call him in. He was uh, he was there for a minute, but uh, I think he's um, balancing a couple of phone calls at the same time. But Rob, if you're listening and you want to join, hit that link and I'll bring you into this conversation because it will be a good one. Um, what strategies um, have you seen retailers employ to increase retention and turn customers into brand ambassadors? Do you want to go first on this or do you want the legend to go first on this, Johnny? Know the legend. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many legends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who are you talking about? Everyone's a legend in here. <laughs> okay, so... Um, <clears throat> Oh, but there is Rob. That's fantastic. I'm going to bring him in. He's the legend. He's the legend. <laughs> okay, so. Good to um, see you, Johnny. Oh, but there is Rob. Likewise. So I'm going to have to ask you guys if you've got the uh, YouTube channel on to mute it. Okay, so. Good to see you, Johnny. Oh. So, Rob, if you have your YouTube on on the background, if you can mute that YouTube channel. And then. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Sweet. There, that that will stop that feedback. So yeah, we've got like a five second delay in case Johnny says something inappropriate. Um, <laughs> okay. So again, we'll repeat that question. What strategies have you seen retailers employ to increase retention and turn customers into brand ambassadors? So, you know, I think what I've seen a lot of retailers doing is just adding loyalty programs and it's a one size fits all loyalty program. And you have all of these different personas um, that shop with most retailers. And what I would hope that retailers will mature to is a loyalty strategy that's really kind of custom to these different personas versus a one size fits all kind of approach. Because they, you know, some of the big loyalty programs that try to convert you into this loyalist customer and an advocate of the brand, um, the ones that work for, you know, a beauty um, company, I won't say that their names, but may not be the same triggers that incent or entice me. Um, getting those reward dollars back might be not the same ones that entice five different shoppers that you have coming in there. So I think there's an, a, a level of maturity that can still happen with those, those point programs. But what I've seen people do right is add user-generated content and allow those consumers to interact with your brand and also interact with other customers. And that when they do that, I feel that they have a sense of belonging to this, this greater a culture. And when, when I see that done right, I believe that creates real loyalty to a brand because they have stake in the game now. They're not just a shopper. Um, so those are a couple of my points. Kind of dodged the question a little bit, but uh, I'll let Johnny take a chance at this. And then Rob, um, I know you got great perspective on this as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so many, so much competition right now. Right? Like how, how Loblaws does it is different than how Costco does it. And, you know, I was at Canadian Tire and it's very different than how Canadian Tire does it. Um, some of those have banks, right? Or, or they own a, own a bank. So um, there's that perspective. The, the, you know, what I would say though is like, um, I guess we can call other brands out, but uh, like I'm a huge fan of, of, um, of Sage Wellness. And it's the experience, it's the story that these little vials of products have um, 
And the other point about like loyalty and brand evangelism is service. So we we got a package two weeks ago, and uh, so I'm in Montreal, and the package said, you know, it was clearly not for me, and it was actually like the name. It was a Winnipeg, Manitoba order. Somehow it had also our address on it too, and uh, it was like six bars of soaps which we didn't need. And we we called Sage. It was a Saturday afternoon, and uh, they're like, okay you know what, we're going to refund your order, keep the soaps. There's a 30 off coming tomorrow. Put a new order in and we'll get it to you. And like that, this is a Saturday afternoon, right, in, in Canada. Like you don't see that 24-7 uh, happen very often. And I just thought like that's a great experience. I didn't get any loyalty rewards or, or need anything like that, but I'm telling this story now because of how they, they kind of treated me. Um, and, you know, like the, the, you know, personalization, like everyone has a different way, right? I, was, I shopped on, uh, I was on Costco today and, you know, it, it's great. You log in and once you log in, you don't need your card, right? Like they store your card on there and you're shopping and then you, you know right away how many reward dollars you're getting back. And it's just comforting to know that these things are happening because six years ago or five years ago, boy, was it a struggle. And it was just about like dollars back or promoing the product or, you know, so it's, it's really nice to have all these, these things coming together from, I mean, you need good technology to be able to do all this stuff. And it's nice that it's opening up nicely for a consumer. Yeah. yeah. All right, Rob. I, no, I listen, I asked the question because you're the, uh, you're, you're, you're the hired gun. You're the big guy that would <laughs> answer these questions, but yeah. Uh, no, what was what was interesting to me actually was uh, uh, you and Johnny just talked about it uh, off the top uh, of this segment when, you know, just even the reference around how Netflix, you can have one account, but you've got four different uh, profiles. Uh, you know that people in the same household aren't going to set up or you're not going to have four different accounts, right? And so yeah. when you think about that Amazon experience and the opportunity to say, listen, you know, people are going to save the money. They're going to share a prime account. But how do you deliver a better curated experience by offering a different profile? You know, I've got two teenage daughters in my house. And so you can imagine uh, the stuff that gets served up is of, is of no interest to me. Um, and so delivering that better curated experience, I think, is where you start to build some affinity. You become brand ambassadors. The question then becomes, how do you transfer that for uh, for the retail environment? Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So stay with us, Rob, because this question from Joseph that he asked, um, I think just above your question on LinkedIn, um, I thought Todd to tied together somewhat. So, and and you'll you'll know the tie-in when I start answering the question. But he asks, "What did you think? What do you think the most um, un undervalued and underutilized tactic is that drives e-commerce sales?" So I'll let you guys think about that one. But and I've had the luxury to think about it and ponder my answer for a couple of days now. But I really think the most undervalued asset um, when it comes to driving e-commerce is our associates. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is I think you have a bunch of micro influencers at your disposal. And if you can treat your staff right, if you can get them engaged with your business, they're going to be your biggest advocates and share more than trying to curate someone that has no affiliation to the business. And that is well, I mean, not to devalue them, but a shopper. So I think if we can engage with our associates and make them um, see the impact that they can have on our business and the uh, and reward them for that somehow, I think that that's a magic formula. Yeah, Chris, I couldn't agree more. Uh, curious to hear what uh, what Johnny thinks. But you know, when I consider 
Uh, it wasn't long ago when I think about uh, all of our dealer owners and their store staff. And you used to have this uh, challenge in, in retail where, oh my gosh, how do I, I've got this challenge where uh, store staff are using their cell phones uh, uh, on the store floor. Um, and now it's how do you get uh, phones in every one of uh, those associates uh, or store staff? How do you get those phones in their hands? Because they become the micro influencers. They're the ones that you know quickly can demonstrate the ease uh, and direct those customers. And uh, to me, the leveraging that is such a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, agreed. And I think so, John. Johnny, just before you answer, I think where Joseph was going with this question is he was thinking about specific digital tactics. Um, not the, the necessarily the um, the associates piece. So I'm going to circle back to my answer on where I think he was going because he sells digital media. So I, I think it was a, a plant for that answer. But um, well, Johnny, would you like to um, respond to that? Yeah, and, and I'll I'll tackle this in, in two ways, and one of them will will touch on on uh, kind of how you guys were talking about. But I I, I think um, so on the on the payment side. Um, you know, in terms of like easy tactics to increase conversion, like how about saving all my data, right? And just making that payment process. I don't have to remember my passwords and logins or force me to log in, like all that stuff. Like um, I, I just love the simplicity of some of the, the payment systems that are happening as well as like the, the new kids on the blocks, which are the, the installments, right? So paying for and Sezzle and Afterpay, Paybrite, like all those that, that make you, you know, just go even through a quicker checkout. Um, Bolt is another company coming around, accelerated checkout. Saves you probably a minute or two each time you check out. I mean, like, it's gold. Yeah. So I think that's like an underutilized tactic that is is probably going to be just commoditized over the, the coming year or two. Um, but interesting to, to go back to um, uh, to, to Sazzle and, and kind of wanted to touch on what you guys said about the associates. Um, they partner with a, a T-shirt company. I guess it's one of their, their clients. And then when you sign up, they ask you for your size and they send you a T-shirt from one of their vendors. And I thought that was such a beautiful ecosystem. And we're like, hey, we want to actually sign up. We're in the sleepwear category. It's like, hey, can we sign up as well and, and have the option of like getting a free PJ for your kids or, or something? And I just thought that was like in terms of engagement and you're like increasing brand notoriety, increasing potentially conversions at a later date. Uh, I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, and, and Johnny, to your first point, though, when you talk about the um, speed to um, – oh, bye, Rob. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't kick him. I didn't kick him. Um, when you talk about the speed in the shopping cart, I, I can't wait for the day that there's a universal cart. Let me shop across multiple retailers, multiple platforms with one cart, build my basket and check out one time instead of me going from website to website, doing the same routine over and over again. If if there's somebody out there that wants to build that for me, I will, I'll be on board in a heartbeat. One. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Um, so let's, let's get to some of the other questions, but uh, universal cart. Let's let's Johnny, let's go do that. Um, so I see there's a question here from Elise. Um, I'm interested to hear about how you approach the mindset towards e-commerce has changed over the years. What are the most important um uh, Qualities to succeed in the industry. Oh, great question. Thank you for that. Um, if I, I, I saw on LinkedIn, you said your dog was barking. Otherwise, you would join. If a dog, I don't care about the dog. If you want to join and put yourself on mute, just come on in and enjoy the conversation. Um, so to that question, I've been doing this for 20 years. So 
I feel like I evolve every few years and learn and change. And I'm, I'm definitely not the same person I was when I started coding um, from Dreamweaver um, on and a how-to book on how to do HTML for dummies. Um, so <clears throat> where, where I think e-commerce has changed over the years, um, obviously, when I first started out, and I swear to God, it was about bricks and mortar and opening up more boxes and e-commerce was a fad. And I remember those conversations. I was in those meetings trying to talk about where e-commerce could go in the early 2000s. And it was, it's a fad. No one's going to adopt to this. And then slowly more uh, Toys R Us launch and Sears was doing its thing. And the shopping channel had a, a great e-commerce platform. And then all of a sudden Walmart came in to the market when, when we finally launched it. And then I just, the narrative started changing with new leaders coming in and fresh opinions on it, where um, it became your, became your gateway to the business. It was your, forget the transactional component of a website. It was the front facing opportunity for a consumer to engage with you and learn about your company, engage with products. And, you know, then Google started to talk years later about the zero moment of truth where Procter and Gamble had the first moment of truth. And the zero moment of truth is just, you know, the first moment of truth from Procter and Gamble, and I'll try to make this story as fast as possible, but was people interacting with a product at shelf level and seeing all of a sudden they had a choice of five different shampoos. And the zero moment of truth is now they get to do that from the comfort of their own home and research and see five-star ratings and, you know, share a product with a, a friend and get an opinion on it. And that whole interaction has changed before you would be at the store level. You maybe an associate might know something about the product. You would read the labels, you would leave the store, you would try to get a referral from someone. Hopefully you would see a commercial and then you would make your buying decision. So I, I think it, that has all changed. And then um, where do I see um, the most the most important qualities to succeed in the industry. You know what? Um, I'm on a podcast tomorrow, and one of the questions. So I'm going to steal from him. So I'm sorry, guys. But one of the questions is, you know, how are you going to compete with against your competition? And to me, one of the most important qualities to succeed in this industry is yes, we have to do the best we can for our our employers. But to me, the way to succeed in the industry is to collaborate and partner together in this industry. There's so many foundationally, so many things foundationally that are still wrong in e-commerce, the quality of the data, the logistics network across Canada. And I think if a bunch of us retailers can really get together and focus on collaboration, that's where the industry needs to go for the next number of years. Um, Johnny? Yeah, where where the industry? Great, great uh, story by the way. Uh, where the industry has been like it, it's it's been slow in Canada, right? Uh, I, I think you, you have from a, let's say from a leadership perspective or you know e-commerce experience, um, you can take twenty percent of everybody in e-commerce in Canada, and they could probably compete on a level of of American e-commerce companies or leaders or tacticians. Um, but there hasn't been enough education and there hasn't been enough support for e-commerce in Canada, uh, even retail, right? It was, we've, we've always been behind. We knew it was coming. Uh, we were always behind in conversion rates. We were always behind in traffic. We were always behind in, in technology, um, in implementing new ERP systems and the like. So I think where it was, it was slow. And what happens though is because it's been slow, now Canada's woken up 100%. And I won't just concentrate on Canada, but I'll just say 
that that it's for sure woken up. Now to succeed in this industry, and, and I think that I think the question is more as an individual basis, right? Not necessarily as a as a company, but I'm I'm going to answer it as like a, a as an individual in e-commerce or a leader in e-commerce. Um, the the like the world is yours to learn. Yeah. Uh, if you if you're on the mindset of like PayPal is the best payment solution and that is all I'm going to use, that would have been great five years ago. Now you you'd be dead. Right, because PayPal is just one of the many great options out there, and you better have everything that a customer wants uh, and all the wallets. And then now, what happens with Bitcoin, right, and crypto? Like, what happens next? So you better evolve. So, so the point is like that. Like, if you have a drive to learn and be able to change, and and the third one is probably the most important: action quickly. Because we get so stuck in Canada on like, yeah, but we can save an extra 5K if we negotiate a bit better and wait 45 days to sign the agreement. It's like, go. Because your U.S. competitors are going. So we need to do a better job of actioning quickly from top down. Yeah, I I used to um, have a leader and uh, he said basically he can give his whole strategy to any retailer in the business. And the confidence that he had with his team was execution. And mm. it didn't matter if everyone knew his secret sauce. It didn't matter because they couldn't execute as well as us. And uh, I think that's still that's still true today. If you can't execute and you mull this stuff over, you're going to be left behind. Um, so great point. Okay, we got a number of questions still. I got a new one here from from Ian. So thanks, Ian, for tuning in. Hopefully, you're still here. Um, so basically, what would you like to see as the standard for customer personalization in e-commerce? Uh, from all brands in the next five years? Great question. Great question. Um, from a personalized standpoint, um, it still kind of feels creepy for a lot of customers, right? Like you get on the site and I mean, I, because I live and breathe this all the time. Hey, thanks Ian. I'm glad you're still here. So um, from a personalization standpoint, we it, you got to get it a good balance because <clears throat> You don't want to be crawling people across all of their channels and then starting to serve up content that is a little bit too personal. Like, you know, I made the mistake once and I will tell this story over and over again. Um, we, we launched um, a baby registry and what we thought we were doing is being helpful, understanding the, the term of, of a mother and when she was going to deliver and we were being proactive with messaging. And one of the, one of our customers ended up having a miscarriage. And we wanted to personalize that experience with her by sending her flowers and this make a big deal of her special moment. And that moment didn't come. And, you know, that was a form of personalization that backfired big time. We were trying with all the right intent to make this experience special. And uh, what we didn't do is the follow up to ensure that these, this, the sensitive issue was, um, was done right. Now, thankfully, um, after the, the, the bad experience that mother was reached back out because I was torn apart that we, we, we made such a, a terrible mistake, um, thinking that we were doing the right thing. Um, but over time she understood and, uh, we, we won her back, which was, which was nice, but it was one of those things that taught me to think differently about how we approach from a retail. It's, it's a no brainer. We want to get you, we're going to get you here six months before three months before and then as you deliver we're going to send you pampers and we're going to send you this starter kit and then all the right intentions and then the wrong outcome so uh, 
where do I see it? I know I'm rambling on with this one, but it, I thought it was an important lesson that I learned. So um, with personalization on a, on a website, I think the containers convert much better with personalization. I think where it needs to go, um, the standard is, it's hard to create a standard because we all use different tools and utilities and have different partners and have different objectives. Uh, I just I just hope that there's a good balance be, between um, being too invasive with it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very introspective uh, question. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we, we do look at Amazon, right, as, as the perfect model, but I'll, I will share one story with about Amazon that it didn't go so right a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I, I had a product that never arrived. So Amazon, which is great, right? Amazon's like, okay, hey, this, this product is lost. Um, what do you want to do? You want to re refund it on your card or on the Amazon gift card? So uh, did it on our card. Two days later, I got an, a message from the seller, but it was a review email. Mm -hmm. Never got the product, right? So... So Amazon fails too sometimes, which is which is comforting. I'm like, ha, we got you. So, you know, but but on on the personalization, I, you know, I, I I had this this chat with with uh, with my bosses about uh, what personalization really means, right? And because I, I think there's an expectation that it's like, hi Chris, welcome to our site, and then like they drag you in, and they know your address, and they know your history, and they know how many kids you have, and like. That's not really what what personalization really really means on a, on a website. And for me, it's like if if the customer the customer doesn't know what personalization is either, right? We know it because we're in the industry, but the cu the customer is not getting to the site and being like, I wish this was more personalized. The customer is getting to the site in the hopes that this means something to them. And if the customer walks away from that experience and says, Wow, they knew me. They knew exactly what product or features or services I wanted, they did a great job of personalization. And I think when you talk about five years, what is that standard customer? Like, that's what it is. The customer walks away with a catered experience that we marketers call personalization, but it's really just a good experience for the customer. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think from a personalization standpoint, it's we have to get all of our channels talking together to do it right. I don't know how many times I've, I shop online and then I go in store and I buy something and then I get an email and it's exactly what I just bought at store level. So I guess you kind of knew me, but you didn't know that I finished that transaction at store level. So, you know, you, for example, you start your research journey online for a new barbecue. You decide not to buy it online. You go into store, you make that purchase. Then we've set up a trigger email to send you a communication to here's $25 off of that barbecue, buy it online. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at this email going, this is a complete waste of an open because I already bought it. So getting those CRM systems talking together, uh, I think has to happen sooner than later because it's just, it's a poor experience right now. Um, somewhere even where I'll take you where I think there needs to be standardization is on ratings and reviews. I can't stand when I go to one website and I look at a product that's rated a five and then I go to another website and it's rated a two. And then you're, you're looking at this going, can we get some unification? And I know that Bizarre Voice does this um, thing where it can link all the ratings together and you're, you're pulling in the feeds, but it is not good enough. Because of all the different big retailers using different platforms, there is no synergy across ratings and reviews right now. And I start to lose trust in it because I don't know if it was actually my competitor reviewing my items poorly 
or or if it was just a sour customer that's rating everything poorly like it's it's really hard for me to trust reviews these days i, I thought they've lost a lot of the credibility hmm. so okay who else do i have here oh paul de silva hey paul how are you bud um many online companies are trying to build their customer retention strategy but when but with the current online volumes what do you see as the best approach for customer retention oh i think we kind of touched on this a little bit with rob's question on building that that um, long time value so customer retention to me is not reacting to a bad experience it's about being proactive so those negative experiences are lessened and i think a lot of con co companies will really focus on you know, someone had a bad experience. Let's give them a $25 gift card. But how about rewarding a customer when they've made their 10th purchase from you or their 100th purchase from you and saying thank you, writing a handwritten note and putting it in their next box versus just doing it when a customer complains or a customer has an opportunity. Customer retention then is much easier because you've built this journey and this rapport that if they do run into a bad experience, um, which everybody does, it will happen. Um, but because you've built that relationship over a longer period of time, they're a little bit more forgiving and you still need to make sure you do the right thing by them. But I, I think we can do a lot as a retailer to be more proactive with our consumers and reward them in the positive moment as well. It's like, it's like leadership, Johnny, you know, this, how many times do you not celebrate success, right? Take the time to celebrate success, celebrate a good customer too, versus waiting till a uh, an employee wants to quit. And then you try to save them. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm not part of a gym anymore. Gym membership. Uh, so I built my my own gym in, in in a home we moved into, and like these guys were terrible to deal with when you were a customer. Like double payments would go out. You'd call them. They wouldn't fix it. They would say next month we'll fix it. And never was fixed. You kept calling. So I, I ended my subscription in November. And I've gotten 12 calls from them, four in the last two weeks, asking me to come back. And I don't answer. I don't even answer. They, they leave a long voice message and they want me back. It's too late. It's too late to, to retain me. You, you could have had me, like you, you said, like treat me as a good customer. I was one of their first clients when they opened. Yep. Eight years later, you, I, I even moved to Calgary for four years and kept the subscription. That's how much I like them. Yep. <laughs> like I like the gym but they didn't give me a reason to, to stay. And, and I would say like the, the customer retention strategy really is there's an onus on your, your customer service or your customer experience team to, you know, we, we've all been on, on the phone with somebody, especially telecommunications, where they can't necessarily make decisions mm -hmm. or, they, or, you know, in an econ case, sometimes they don't have access, you know, in the past, let's say you have enterprise platforms, not all the customer service agents might have access to the enterprise platforms with the order number. And like, it's just an extra step to get to somebody to make a decision. Empower them. At the end of the day, like you're, you're giving them a refund or free shipping, or you're taking more money dollars off their order, but you're gaining that. I saw a question there from Mark about lifetime value. You're gaining that customer or you're keeping that customer. You're getting that right. So I think customer service empowerment is such a huge thing to retain more and more customers. Yeah, great. I missed. Did I miss a question from Mark about uh, lifetime value? Yeah, he's at six nineteen. Uh, 
oh, do you see the do you see companies measuring uh, lifetime value or just offering great service and hoping their customers keep buying? So I can tell you that I speak about lifetime value all the time, um, especially in this type of environment where um, <clears throat> a lot of stores, if you sell something at maybe only 5% margin, they're like, well, it really didn't pay for the staff to process that transaction. And you can do that. You can, especially on, on online, you can go through the 35,000, 40,000 SKUs and, and look at that one transaction that is only making a couple of points and saying it, the credit card fee costs more than that. But if you don't have those basket builders, if you don't have the total package and total solution, you're not going to be part of the consideration. So yes, it is about lifetime value because a customer needs to build on projects in our case, and they may, they may start off with a, a $20 item that doesn't really fit profitably in, a, in an e-commerce environment. But if you don't allow them to make that initial purchase, you're not going to be the, the retailer they choose for the rest of that project. And that project could be a five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 project. So um, you can't look at that as a, a, a single purchase. And, and you know what, even if they did just buy that one item off of you this year, there's plenty of other years where you get to now communicate to them. And, you know, I've been through probably five or six homes and my, my buying patterns change, right? So I get into my new home. I want that new TV because my other one's now not good enough. It was, but it's not. So now all of a sudden my spending habits go up and I, I spend like crazy for a couple of years and then it ties off and I, I just enjoy the, the things I have. And then I move again and then I go into this rotation of buying again. So my lifetime value is important. But if, if you looked at one transaction from me, I might not have been a good customer in, in, in a, in a very narrow lens. Johnny? Yeah. Um, you know, so I agree. Uh, it doesn't get it doesn't get the love it needs, and I, I love that question from yeah. from Mark, and, and I'm glad you asked it because um, I've been waiting in in all my interviews with bosses. No one's ever asked like, how are you going to define lifetime value for us? And I think that's probably one of the the issues, right? Like we know how to define what percentage should go into paid media or how much return comes from SEO versus email. But what is customer lifetime value? Because the model is different. And I remember reading a book that was called 15 Measurements of, of there was 15 different measures. It, was come, it came from an IBM uh, conference and this guy, uh, great book, but it, it highlighted 15 key elements every marketer needs from an ROI perspective, the measurement and, and customer lifetime value was one of them. And he had the formula on how to define it. Um, long story short, it's, it's pretty much three years. Right. So you can you can choose to say it's 10, maybe the industry changes and so on. For cars, it's a bit different. Yeah. But three years, right? In retail, if I'm looking at that, I want to know in three years, what's that lifetime value look like for a customer? How many times are they ordering? How much are they worth? So I do think, uh, one, that question should be asked more and more in interviews. And it's not because people don't understand what it necessarily means. And And you know what I think? I think maybe a Google or a Google Analytics needs to lead that charge. Oh, and I think they're making some strides in that, but I think they need to be the leader in this or in education. Like if, if a university could come up and start teaching that stuff rather than, you know, for stuff that's four years old already right. or eight years old, that would help. No, agreed. And uh, it, it should be a KPI in, uh, in Google Analytics for sure. Um, so hopefully, Mark, that, uh, that answered that question. I see 
Um, and Mark asked, um, how will you combat ITP and moving into a cookie-less world? I don't even want to touch this. Oh, so hard. <laughs> you know what I say? Like, I, I just... Google and Facebook are going to figure something out, right? Yeah. They have... Like, <laughs> they're not just going to sit there and be like, well, your only channel is email now. And that's where, like, I'm, I'm like scratching my head because like there's a deadline and it's like what are they going to do like where is all this money going to flow from an advertising perspective right yeah like i just feel like they got to figure it out even email though like what was the i don't know if it's launched yet but basically they were working on these email addresses that weren't yours they were just tied to an artificial one-time email address and you can use those in store when they said would you like your email receipt delivered it's a great acquisition strategy but then <laughs> They've combated that with here's a is a temporary email address you give it and it goes directly to your personal email address. So the retailer hasn't gained that connection with you because this workaround. So all of these all of these great initiatives um, for the, to protect an individual I get and I agree with, but then you have the customers that are saying why don't you communicate to me right? Why don't you do the personalization? Well, they don't call it personalization, but they want you to know that journey of, of their shopping a little bit better and send more thoughtful and proactive communications. But if you have all of these restrictions in place, how do you overcome that? Um, so it, that's a great question. And Mark, I'm going to do some research on that one tonight. And if you're connected with me on LinkedIn, message me tonight and I will, I will make sure that I have a good perspective on that for you um, within the next day or two. Um, because I have not had the headspace for it over a little while, um, but I'm sure I can think of something. So please, thanks, Griff, for that great question. Um, I had a question from Raj here, and uh, he's not on the chat tonight, unfortunately. And if he is, message in there. Oh, just connected with me. Oh, thanks. Perfect, Mark. Appreciate that. Um, who's the most... My answer, I deal with it when I have to. <laughs> right? It's, you know, it's funny, I, I look at my calendar and so many times my staff is like, hey, tomorrow you have this meeting, this meeting. And I'm like, I haven't got through today. <laughs> I will deal with tomorrow. Yeah, let me survive today. Yeah. Um, so who's the most innovative e-commerce retailer you've seen in Canada? And I thought about this one over and over again, and I haven't saw a lot of true innovation in the last number of years. And, and what I mean that by that is, and I'm not sounding disrespectful to retail, it's just, um, I live it. I think we are all accelerating our growth in a number of areas, but the innovation has kind of flattened out. Like personalization was a big one. Same day shipping was a big one. Lockers at stores were, were unique. You know, all of these things, um, drone delivery being tested out, maybe that's somewhat innovative. Um, but since we've heard about it so often, I don't know if it's innovative to me anymore. Um, so I think just innovation is is really solidifying our logistics networks and being more innovative in our DCs with um, maybe some more automation or robotics. And um, how do we, in a COVID environment, let's be innovative and keep our staff safe um, and think of new ways to do that while still keeping up to this crazy volume that uh, retail is going through right now. From a, from a retail perspective, if I can call out one or two, two companies that I think are doing things that are innovative, um, Oscar over at Salesfloor, I think if you check out Salesfloor and what they're doing with, with retailers is great. Um, iDevise is another company. 
I spoke with a company called Zipco the other day. They're doing some great stuff from a payment stuff. Um, really enjoy what they're doing. Um, and then one of my, um, I haven't bought any shoes lately from them, but from an innovation perspective, years ago, they came out with, have you ever heard of Bucket Feet, Johnny? No. So Bucket Feet is a company out of Chicago. A friend of mine from Deloitte went and opened them up a few years ago. And <clears throat> what I like about what they do is they create these um, limited edition uh, shoes. And what they do is they partner with local artists in the community and those artists design them. And when those artists design them and you sell through those, they give back to those artists um, as royalties and a, and a payment model, which allows the artist to get more noticed. Um, they, they, their shoes are now are out on the street and it's street art. And it's, I thought it was a very clever way to, um, to grow the shoe industry, but also to give back to people as well. Uh, so I really enjoy when people are doing innovative stuff like that. Um, and then the last, I think the last innovative thing I saw, which I, I don't know how realistic it is, is what Domino's Pizza and they're, they're tracking their delivery um, and they track it from the minute it's put into the oven all the way to, to your door. Um, it's a great Saturday night um, fun thing to see your pizza journey when you're watching the hockey game. Um, did you have anyone in, in, the, in mind? Well, like I think they were behind and now they're totally ahead, which, which is a loblaws and what they've done on the grocery side. I mean, it's leaps and bounds, right? Um, so, and, and I've been, you know, whether it's probably going all their different brand banners that they have, but I've been testing them out and, and they've just improved from like even a year ago to, to what they're doing. And they got a really solid digital team and, and education is at the forefront of what they do. And I, I think like you're, you're right in Canada, like it's, it's like, I don't know if like there's a ton of leader, like there's a lot of followers or, you know, hey, let's try this. But I think Loblaws sometimes leapfrogs in front and it's really interesting to see how they've done that. And and, and I think groceries is overdue. Mm -hmm. um, I think the alcohol industry is overdue yeah. um, as well. If we look at how that's handled and, you know, in Canada with all the laws provincially and, and I know it's complicated, but um, but that's been, I think that's the next thing that's going to explode is like getting alcohol quicker, whether it's direct from source or, you know, through SAQ, LCBO, all the, all the provincial ones um, and, and having that be just as good as groceries now. And groceries is still not that good, right? But it's, it's getting better than when it was a year ago. But that's where when you live in this industry, innovation is kind of like it's ho-hum. Right. So you're talking about grocery just doing what is kind of now expected. They're accelerating it and doing it much better. But when you work in the industry, you're like, wow, that they, they launched that two years ago. Where is it now? Right? Like, mm. it's, it's funny, whereas other folks that are not in the industry and living and breathing it every day and seeing new technology that's coming down the pipeline. There's so many things that are innovative, like truly innovative that you see coming. Um, we're just we haven't actually launched them yet. So. That was a that was a great question. Um, the next one is how will AI revolutionize e-commerce? Oh, so I think what AI does is starts to deliver a smarter customer experience. Um, I think from a customer service experience, um, AI can do a really good job of uh, connecting with a customer, triaging it, so then it can get to um, a real person if needed, uh, but because a lot of the questions that we get asked in retail are, are just basically FAQs, I think AI can really support that type of stuff for us. Um, and then when, when I see AI 
it's that omni-channel experience where I'm really excited AI can come through, which is connecting that experience of me shopping online. If, if my phone is picked up in store level and all of a sudden any screen can now start to speak to me um, personally through the artificial intelligence, the, those are the, the shopping journeys I'm looking forward to from, from artificial intelligence. Yeah, and also from, um, like I get excited on the retailer side or like someone on like trying to get consumers to buy, right. just from an order management perspective and where this order should be fulfilled at and, and you know, like all that, that's kind of going where AI is going to be like eliminating the manual intervention of like exporting Excel sheets and, you know, trying to figure out where my inventory should be, when I should buy it, when I should send it. Like that's what gets me excited about, you know, it's not automation, that's actually AI. Um, and then the, the impacts, I, I, I wonder, like if you look at sports and, you know, how analytics is kind of, especially in hockey, like it's kind of changing it, but it's it's changing it really slowly. Yeah. Because the player could have, like it could be the, the best player. Like if Connor McDavid had the worst um, analytics, but he's still going to get 100 points this year, it's not changing his paycheck yet. Yeah. Right? So we might see that soon. And I think the same thing's happening in retail. We're like, wait a minute, we have this trove here called AI and all this data that we're going to work with and something's going to help us do it better. Like we're all game for that, but we're wondering what the impact is really going to be. Um, and is it going to be better? Yeah. And when, when you talk about the analytics and sports and um, that kind of paper for performance kind of now really comes into it. So a guy that, you know, is plus 30 is not getting paid the same as a guy that has negative 30, but has 50 goals. Right. So he's costing you more. And he's not delivering the same, which it's kind of ridiculous. But I don't know if the hockey union will really dig that that transformation for a long time. So, I mean, we can host another podcast about sports. <laughs> Count me in. <laughs> All right. Um, I see Trevor Heal. Uh, Trevor. Um, Trevor is a, one of my um, associates on my team. And he's uh, actually I'll give him a call out right now, too, because I'm such a big fan of this kid. I call him a kid. He's he's a phone grown adult, and uh, I just think the passion he shows on a day to day basis is is not um, it's not common anymore in in retail. And he he shows that he is all in for this company. I really appreciate Trevor. That's for sure. So, what uh, expected uh, feature do you think most retailers have dropped the ball on um, when they're implementing um, on their site? Is Trevor, are you talking from experience right now? Is that is that question like um, something that uh, you just lived through? Because we we just launched our new platform, uh, so we've uh, launched a unified platform for Kibo, and um, we're also in the process of rolling out uh, our next journey in in uh, Ship to Home. So uh, we've been uh, working a lot lately. So uh, what feature do I think most retailers have dropped the ball on? I. I Gosh, you're, you're setting me up here because you know search is so important to me. And I think um, when consumers come to the site and you look at, you know, Hotjar or whatever technology that really maps out the use of your website, um, Google has taught everyone to go to that search bar first. Mm -hmm. And I think that search can be so much more effective, I think, with the recommendations within the search and the visualized search. Um, artificial intelligence inserted into there. I think that search bar is so critical. And 
we have a lot of work personally to do on that on our side and, and Trevor's leading that. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I can't, that's probably the biggest area. I mean, that's your, that's your gateway and that's where people start to their journey on your website. So uh, my answer and I'm sticking to it is search. I, I would say um, testing. Like you look at search, you love the technology stacks and stuff like that. I'm yeah, always about the front end consumer, and you're like, let's get the back end right. Yeah, like because because every site has has search, and I agree. Like some of them are are awful, including some of the big players, right? So, but every site has that. And I look at testing, and not every site has testing. And the ones that do, sometimes they don't do it well, or they have the wrong framework, or they're testing like backwards, right? They're not testing for the highest impact. They start with the lowest impact on like the least amount of page views. And that's what I mean by like testing. I just feel like that whole feature is either missing or not implemented. And then the 10% that do it amazingly well, just leapfrog the competition. Like like Netflix is, is what is it that they run? Like 30,000 tests a month or whatever. Yeah. They're changing tight. Like they're changing the, the, the actual tiles that you see, right? So if you watch, like, if there's a female that's a leading lady and a man that's a leading man, they might change that according to who it is. So you might see the actor or actress, and like, it's just amazing what they're what they're doing, and they have a proper framework. So I would answer with testing. Yeah, you know, I remember this show actually on Netflix. I can't remember the name of it, Johnny, but basically the concept was you have this, um, you 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 have these these people, and it was all on their mobile device, and. Basically, the concept of the the one episode was how engaged this person was, and and maybe it was a series. I can't remember, but I remember the one episode very clearly. Where, as the minute I started to put down my phone or or stop scrolling as much, people were changing what was being shown to that customer, and they were like in the background, hurry, 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 always go to the kitten. She'll she'll pick back up if you show her the kitten, right? And and that's that's the testing that you're talking about is how do we continue to constantly improve and, and get that message to our consumers in a, in a really digestible manner. And you're right. We're, we could do better upfront with that. So I've only got a couple more questions because I think we're, we're almost at the hour right now, but let's, let's make sure that we address um, everyone's question here. So what considerations need to be taken to maximize the home delivery customer experience while maximizing um, delivery costs? So from a delivery cost standpoint, one piece that I find that um, so many retailers miss up front, especially the ones that haven't built websites and e-commerce platforms before, is working on that forecast, what your future growth is, and presenting that to the couriers. If you don't do that, they're not going to give you a significant discount on rates. They want to see your, your capability of growth and what you're forecasting. If you don't, they're going to give you the opening rates. So I think number one, make sure you forecast out your future and have that um, transparency with with the uh, the couriers. Um, secondly, decide if you want to be in the logistics game or not. Some of us are great at building product, um, manufacturing product, but do you want to actually be the guy fulfilling pick, pack, and ship, or do you want to move to a three PL? I think that's a key decision that has to be made as well. Um, that if if you don't have the commitment to do automation and make your warehouse better, you're going to fall so far behind. It's going to cost you a lot of money. And a lot of a lot of retailers and, and partners that I know have made the decision to do pick, pack, and ship, and it goes horribly wrong because they don't have the commitment to truly make that an efficient process. 
um, the locations of your DCs and the closeness, the proximity of your DC to the courier locations is another one. Because if, if your DC is um, far away from those uh, depots, you actually get charged more. So if you have the luxury of just starting up, plan where your DC is, is going um, and try to have multiple ones across the country because it would just get to the consumer faster. Um, I'm trying not to give away my secret sauce. So uh, <laughs> uh, size, weight, and dimensions. You know, I saw a company launch these, um, I think it was gluten-free or something gummies. And they were in a package this big. It was light. It was in an envelope. It was really easy to ship. So I think if you have any control over your assortment and how it's packaged, um, you can do really well because they'll, they'll, they'll reduce the cost for sure. Um, think about how you can monetize your shipping, all right? Charge your suppliers for those boxes. Um, I got, I don't even know if it's here, but um, I have an Amazon box that showed up with um, Mario Kart plastered all over it for a Mario Kart release. And it, my, at first I thought I won a Mario Kart um, product, so I was excited, but then I realized it was just branding. So, um, but there, there's ways, whether it be box stuffers or, um, but there's ways to monetize your, your logistics. And then the last thing is, Decide whether you need, and this is always a debate, but whether you need branded boxes being shipped to a consumer. Um, and we can debate this all night long, I'm sure. But do you, if a customer's come to your website, they've chose your brand, they've went through the shopping cart, they've confirmed that they've chose your brand because they've made that purchase, do you need a branded box showing up on their porch? I think from the perspective that that box is sitting on the porch and other people are seeing it, is, is good, but do you need that? And we can debate that because um, there's options of recycled boxes. And if you have to cut costs, recycled boxes are a great option for, for people to use and leverage. And yes, it may show a chocolate bar box showing up at the consumer's house, but uh, it's a way for you to save money. So I think everyone should explore it and weigh those pros and cons. And that's my, my magic list. Yeah, you, you covered everything. I, I have three points to add. The okay. branded box. So I, I remember being at Etail Canada my first year. This must have been like 2011. Uh, I was working for, for Buffalo at the time, Buffalo Jeans. And we were thinking, because the, the brand was, you know, a higher jean category, and thinking about branding bo branded boxes like marketing was, and they wanted us to do it. And um, I remember sitting, some to, sitting next to someone from Hugo Boss Canada. And they're like, yeah, we had some issues with the branded packages because people right. see a Hugo Boss and they would get stolen and we stopped it. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> like it was 10 years ago, right? So it's yeah, and like you said, they they bought it already, right? Like we like I get it. There is a certain, you know, if I'm opening it up like a nice, I don't know, like a fancy, you know, uh, makeup or something like that. I, I get there's a high end feel to it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, the second one I would say, and you mentioned it, like dim size, weight, all that stuff, like that's how you reduce costs. Yep. You either shrink your packaging, you make sure you're giving the right measurements to post office, or if it's Amazon, like make sure Amazon has the right, they're not going to measure for you, right? If, yeah. it's, if it's wrong, like they, they won't correct you. So make sure you have that, that proper sizing. And then the third thing I would say is like, if you don't know where you are, you can't improve. So if you don't know the percentage of your storage and fulfillment as a percentage of your revenue, whether it's 20 or 30 or 15%, yeah. you'll never be able to improve that. So figure that out. Cause like, if, if you don't know what that is today, 
maybe regroup with your e-com or your finance team because everybody in the e-commerce department, whether you're in logistics or digital or wherever you are, should probably know what those key KPIs are. And reducing fulfillment as a percentage of revenue is probably one of those KPIs you have. Yeah, 100%. I guess my overall last message, last tip when we wrap this up is, I think in order to have success in retail and in e-commerce is become a merchant. I don't care what role you have, whether you're in marketing, the warehouse, finance, become a merchant, understand the metrics behind products, and that will allow you to think completely differently. When I started out, I was focused on just marketing and it, it wasn't profitable marketing. And if you understand the cost of goods, the whole logistics network and understand merchandising and how to bring a product to market, uh, you'll be far more successful than just staying in, in one lane within the company. So I think that will be my last tip. I'm out of breath because I've never had this much exercise in the last uh, 20 years. So I appreciate everyone that has, has joined and put their comments in. And I would love to do this again in probably a month. So um, thank you, Johnny. Appreciate you being a co-host with me. That was great. You made it definitely feel far more natural. No, thanks for having me. This was tons of fun. I love it. Perfect. Thanks, my friend. And um, to anyone, hopefully you subscribed and um, you'll get the alerts on our next podcast. Uh, Johnny's podcast will be with me. We interviewed last uh, Friday. That should be um, up either later tonight or tomorrow. So thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. Night, everyone.